Hi everyone, and welcome to the Resonance Collective podcast. My name is Valentino Barrioseta, and together with my dear friend and co-pilot Eric Redfield, we will be sharing some of our conversations with the catalysts we meet on our journey exploring human potential, as well as through our work in the impact space. From leading researchers in the fields of human consciousness to impact leaders or best-selling authors, we believe humans are in resonance when surrounded by like-minded people that inspire them, when living purpose-driven lives and when being present in flow especially in the fast-paced world we live in. So the aim of this podcast is to become a platform to share the stories and ideas that can inspire us to become a better version of ourselves. In this episode of the Resonance Collective podcast, we talk with Martin Sherp. Martin went from being at the top of the poker game to co-found Synthesis, the first legal psilocybin retreat in Amsterdam. He's also the co-founder of High Existence, a community to provide a medium for free-thinking individuals to connect and discuss. You can find more information about this on synthesisretreat.com and highexistence.com. We talk about the lack of purpose with him. We talk about the hype around psychedelics. We talk about his personal development journey through shamanic experiences and the legal framework of all of this. Definitely an interesting conversation if you are interested in the world of psychedelics, personal development, and human consciousness. Without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Martin Sherp. Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to another episode of the Resonance Collective. And today I'm especially excited because finally I get to host this show with my co-curator, co-pilot, and co-host Eric Rothfeld. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks, Val. Finally. Finally. Finally showed up in the co-pilot seat. <laughs> and we are also very excited because we have a dear friend of ours today on the show who is the founder of the Synthesis Retreat. And we will jump more about that later. Welcome to the show, Martin. Thank you, Val. And I wanted to jump straight to your personal life story. And where did it all start? And when did you come to the realization of starting this journey in your life? Mm -hmm. um, my lifestyle was I was traveling Europe, America, um, Bahamas, um, going to all these big tournaments. And in between, I would play online poker, like 12 tables, 40 tables at the same time, having like $30,000, $40,000 on cash on the table, um, you know, winning 10, 20K a day or losing. Um, and it, it was amazing. I, I was really good at it and I love playing games. I love figuring out people, love game theory. And so it was like this amazing um, dream I was living. And, um, but slowly, slowly over time, I, I felt that losing was still really painful, but winning didn't really do anything for me anymore. I already kind of accomplished what I want, what I set out to do. I had a nice apartment, nice girlfriend, I had friends, everything. Um, I could buy anything I wanted. I could take a few years off. Um, but the big question became like, what now? And so I just keep playing poker and, but it didn't really do anything for me. And then slowly I started asking like, why am I even doing this? And then yeah, over time losing became more and more painful. And um, I was really wondering 
like what else is there and I couldn't really find anything in the beginning I didn't really have mentors in my life I didn't really have a wisdom tradition I didn't really find a a path that helped me figure out um, yeah what I what what else is there what, what's actually why am I actually putting all this time and effort into something you were a young man at that stage as well huh? yeah I was 21 22 when I really started to I wouldn't say depression, but it was like this existential crisis where, like, what, what, what should I do now? Like a disillusionment with, uh, yeah, like success. I, I, like, part of me wanted to be successful because um, I thought, on some level, if I, I'm successful, I won't suffer anymore. You know, I, I, I didn't have the easiest um, upbringing, and me finding poker was like, oh, this is my ticket out of all the pain and all the suffering. And so, and then I found out that I, I became successful with poker, but I, the pain and suffering was still there. And so that didn't work. And so I tried, you know, I, I came into psychedelics and spirituality to find an answer um, to, you know, what works, what, what actually can help me get out of this. And... Going back to that, um, you know, mentioning psychedelics, um, what was your first experience with psychedelics and um, how how did that change the course of your life? Um, my first psychedelic experience was actually very close here by in a forest with two of my close friends. We took mushrooms together and I remember that just opened this amazing dreamlike world where I didn't think about um, making money. I wasn't thinking about um all these other pressures in my life i could just enjoy nature and just for me the realization that something so little could have such a profound impact was like oh wow what else is there um my first deep transformative experience was actually ayahuasca about a few like four or five months later um that completely kicked my ass and made me realize i had a lot to learn and i was you know i was pushing a lot of emotions down and I hadn't been facing my fears. I had actually not a good relationship to myself at all. Um, and I realized I had to change my life because I couldn't keep living the same lie, basically. And I'm sure it doesn't come only from one particular psychedelic experience. I, I know you have been ex experimenting with, you know, different shamanic traditions. <coughs> You've been traveling the world also. What were the you know, uh, follow-up sessions that you had after that first experience? And how did your um, interest in, the, you know, in shamanic practices and in the psychedelic space grow over time? Um, well, I had this amazing privilege through poker to um, just focus on whatever I wanted to focus on. So I did a few ayahuasca ceremonies here in the Netherlands with different groups, um, Shipibo Shamant, more New Age, Santa Daimi. I did um, some Pedro with uh, Peruvian uh, people. I've done um, Iboga also with two different groups. Um, I spent time with the Sequoia tribe in the Amazon in Ecuador. Um, they do something called Yahe, which is slightly different than ayahuasca. Um, I've done many different trips and festivals or ceremonies, um, MDMA therapy, um, yeah, everything that just gives a different... You've done it all. Oh, not all yet, <laughs> but uh, quite a lot. Um, 
and always with intention, always in ceremonial settings, and always with the the purpose of trying to learn, discover like what are these tools? Like what is this mystery that is consciousness? What is um, what is life? Um, and yeah, it's been an amazing journey. You also, um, from an education pers- perspective, you also went back right to study after mm-hmm. university. Um, in yeah. terms of that context, right, of kind of leading a, a deeper examined life. Yeah, so I went back to university to study uh, interdisciplinary science and philosophy with a focus on phenomenology, which is the study of perception, especially in relationship to psychedelics. Because some of the things that um, happen on, on psychedelics, for example, the synesthetic experience, where um, sound, matter, space, all um, start to interweave into this oneness that's, um, that shouldn't happen if you just live in an objective, purely material world, from my perspective. So there's something to consciousness that changes matter. And I've just been fascinated by that problem uh, ever since. Um, and for those listening um, that I have some sort of interest in, you know, the psychedelic space and shamanic practices, they might feel a little bit overwhelmed right now mm-hmm. by listening all the variety of experiments that you have gone through. Which one stood out or which one could be a good entry gate for people to have absolutely no experience and want to start exploring that space? Yeah, that's a great question because that's the main reason why we started Synthesis um, because I think psilocybin um, is the, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms or truffles that we use is the best gateway, <laughs> so to speak. Because um, the duration is not too long, it's not too intense. Um, it doesn't have the cultural baggage that a lot of other tools have. And... Um, yeah, and in low to medium doses, it's very safe. Uh, even in high doses, it's one of the safest that we know. Um, and also, there's the most research being done on. Um, so they use it in therapy for OCD, depression, addiction, um, which we now learn are very similar um, conditions that, um, that have a lot of overlapping um, elements to it that can be cured, actually cured by psilocybin. And so for me... And that is the tool for the future. And you mentioned synthesis, obviously, which is the reason why we are here. Mm -hmm. I would like to um, know when was the moment or what was the trigger for you to start synthesis and um, how the whole thing started? So um, me and my co-founder, Paul Austin, we we started he, he he does a lot of work on microdosing which is taking small doses of um of a psychedelic um just in your daily life just to enhance creativity or flow or um something um like these these mindful states and these we started going to different conferences and people come up to us like hey where can i do this and then we either had to recommend an ayahuasca retreat or something else and we often found these people not ready or not interested in a very spiritual, shamanistic context. And so I was already creating a different retreat for, um, for high existence. It's not a platform I, I b- helped build. And um, so we were like, well, we can try out offering this retreat. 
for more for professionals, more from a Western context, you know, have medical staff at hand, have a very intentional, purposeful framework around it, um, and see if this is something that can help people and is interesting for them. So we ran a pilot retreat in um, in April, three pilots um, back to back, eight people each. And that was like an immense success. Um, people coming in suits, having these mystical experiences and transforming their lives. And we were like, wow, this is this is something. Um, and that, yeah, it started, just started to grow from there. Um, that's where, that's how we met as well. Um, just before the pilot, we went to Zurich um, to this conference. Um, I think it was the 14th European Trend Day um, uh, organized by GDI. And um, yeah, it's like start to snowball from there. And Eric, I know you are personally invested in in synthesis. You have trusted the project and and supported Martin and his vision. What's been the the main drive behind it? And yeah, so um, I met Paul and Martin um, at a um, as Martin mentioned at a conference for kind of um, optimal human performance um, a year or so ago. Um, they were both uh, guest speakers at the conference and. You know what was, and again, the conference was interesting because it was a setting Zurich, and again, you know, out of the audience, at least half were in suits, you know, so to speak. And so these were <laughs> Credit Suisse and you know Zurich Insurance and you know other, you know, sort of other like corporations. And it, and it was an, obviously an indication, also, I think, um, a very clear sign, which is what a lot of the I think listeners on the podcast feel, and you know how a lot of us feel is, you know, there's a there's a sort of growing dissonance, you know so to speak, in society a little bit now, in increasingly. Um, you know, um, some of those some of those metrics are obvious in terms of um, increasing challenges around mental health, you know, depression, anxiety uh, for children. Um, and then just the in and outside of the core of those areas, let them, let's say mental health, the, the whole area related to just optimal human performance and, few, you know, um, human flourishing, um, which Michael Pollan in his book, How to Change Your Mind, expresses very well in, you know, the betterment of well people. Um, and so related to that, you know, we see this uh, resurgence or renaissance of plant medicine, something that has been, um, you know, absolutely blacklisted entirely from our culture for the last 40 years, prior, previous to the 40 years before in that kind of second wave of renaissance around that, um, you know, uh, you know prior, prior to it having to be driven literally underground, the emergence of that was um, really around, you know, very powerful anecdotal anecdotal benefits from uh, psychedelics being used in a mental therapy environment and that's from LSD through to the range of plant medicine Martin referred you know to the deep shamanistic practice that is prevalent in every indigenous culture of how you know we have traditionally used this plant medicine um, for you know for community healing individual healing realization clarity you know again relating to this kind of um, range or spectrum, you know, from both healing through to, you know, insight, optimal performance. Um, so there's a broad range of area, you know, there now. And what's clear related to this kind of dissonance that we see, I think, in, in society is this is, you know, this is a tool, you know, one of very many modalities that we're beginning to understand, you know, um, with much more clarity and partly relates to um, the technology that we have now. You know, particularly at the, you know at this time, you have this kind of nexus of forces coming together. Um, you know, plant medicine being one, but more particularly the uh, the emergence of technologies related to um, neuroscience, in particular, of how we're actually understanding how the brain you know functions on a cognitive science perspective. 
So psychedelics are, are moving from the domain, let's say, of philosophy, um, shamanistic practice, um, and psychobehavioral psychology with kind of objective evidence. Um, and also the studies that are being conducted now, you know, rigorous, you know, double-blind studies that weren't done before are allowing us to objectively understand the power of these of these substances and, and you know, medicine that is out there, again, for the broad range of spectrum. I was... Um, obviously fascinating and passionate that you know kind of emerging tool that we've left behind and um and so you know just as an example with synthesis and the guys i think the 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 discipline around the framework of integrating this um with within the context of our culture so you know not sub not subtranting a, a shamanistic culture that's really been framed over a thousand years in you know, in sub-Saharan Africa or in the jungles of Peru, um, and having a very you know disciplined Western integration context uh, context to that, so we can bring it into our communities. Uh, this this is a struggle that we still have because these substances are illegal, right? I mean, they're still class one drugs basically throughout the Western world, with the exception of Amsterdam in Europe. Um, and so it was clear, you know, it was clear to me from a conscious capital perspective that um, you know capital needs to kind of be moved to help support um, creative activists and, and social activists like, like Martin and Paul to give a platform to their work. Um, and that's really why, you know, we collaborated together to, you know, to, to at least give them um, the financial ability to establish an environment here in Amsterdam and, and begin to transform the lives of hundred, hundreds of people who are coming through this. You know, we just had a session here this weekend, which was an absolute honoured, you know, honour to be at and observe the the framework over the three days and the participants uh, many of who have you know come from all different diverse socio and economic backgrounds and also you know diverse um, diverse um, you know cultures across uh, you know Europe coming together um, across three days and you know the the, cer- the like the ceremonial approach really starts you know when they get together as a community. And then across the three days, they you know you, you see them, the team prepare them, you know for the um, for the actual ceremony itself, you know, and the, and the legal important to stress right. This is a absolutely legal, um, as Martin said, you know truffles, psilocybin in the truffles form in Amsterdam are, are, are legal. So this is all above board, and you know they're, they're conducting the ceremony, and just now recently today finishing the integration ceremony. You can probably hear the the edge in my voice. Of a still a slight crack crackle in my throat um, because it's just so moving to see the impact um, both from a you know from a as I said you know from a kind of trauma and insight perspective but also just from a, a liberation perspective I mean the energy and power that the individuals now have to go out um, you know with with sort of direction in their lives is is just I mean it's it's, it's breathtaking you know um, and that leads me to Another question for Marta and uh, for those that are listening and not quite get or understand what uh, synthesis looks like. What is the actual structure of the retreat and, you know, what does it include? Sure. Um, Well, basically all you have to do is is fly to Amsterdam. We'll pick you up. Uh, Before that, we'll send you some educational preparation materials to optimally prepare your mind and body to have this experience because... It's not necessarily easy and it's not necessarily um, fun, but it can be very profound. But 
to be to get the most out of it and to be safe there are some things that we have to do so we do medical check we have a application call with you to see whether your intentions align with what we have to offer um then you come to amsterdam we'll pick you up um you'll meet the other people we'll share a little bit we'll make sure everybody's emotionally comfortable with sharing and opening up um we do one-on-one coaching um you know some things that you like to share in private you don't have to necessarily share with the group um and some other practices just to you know get to unstifle you a little bit you know get out of your mind into your body um the next day we'll start with breath work um it's a really powerful tool most people are actually surprised how how strong it can be absolutely yeah and some people like this is actually more powerful and more transformative than um the actual session which um i had a similar experience the first time i did it um and with that we we have the ceremony which is about an eight nine hour um journey um within your own mind psyche or outer space depending on on your dose and um uh what kind of journey you have every time is different we calibrated those depending on your intentions your sensitivity your previous experience etc um and um you're not just that obviously you know it's uh, what's really impressed me obviously is the which is so important to the set and setting experience right is the framework that you guys provide from a um sec- you know like a secure mm-hmm. secure environment right i mean you have you know medical practitioner right. on standby you have inc- you know incredibly um incredible depth of experience right in the facilitators in right. the team yeah. Uh, so you know, in terms of setting the environment to to allow the participants in the ceremony to to surrender entirely, mm-hmm. you know, into their journey and then accept and sort of trust and allow. Yeah, that's so important. The experience, yeah. you know, it's it's remarkable what you guys have done, you know, mm-hmm. done for that. Thank you. And I think it's it's critical as people begin to explore this. You know, I think people are going to be very tempted to say, "Oh, how can I get some hold of you know some mushrooms <laughs> or some some LSD and." sit in my apartment and have a go at this you know i mean that's that's you know this is exactly not what synthesis is about yeah it's not rec- not recommended um you know and so yeah you know an, an environment like synthesis as i said which kind of um creates this right. um you know incredibly safe and secure environment um you know for one to experience and enter into that journey and the word surrender is you know is critical it's huge, yeah. having the environment to do that important uh, to mention as well that is medical stuff yes, on site right yeah. that's one and we have two like um very key workshops one is to, is um is actually on the first day is uh, the flight instructions workshop it's basically what kind of experience can you have and what to do with that so we we learn how for you we try to teach how to navigate and what how to work with expectations what if it's overwhelming what if you get nauseated and sick what if you need help what if you etc etc so there are so many possibilities that um are hard to navigate on your own in your apartment especially if you do it the first time or you take too much etc so we we're very careful about that um and the other workshop is the integration workshop which is basically what to do after because you can have these very profound experiences but if you don't really integrate them in your life you they might you know just become a really cool memory of something you've done in the past it doesn't really change anything or worse you can be psychologically um um not necessarily unstable but disintegrated and 
um, not sure how to resolve some of the emotional content that came up. So those two are you know, really important to embed the experience into a safe cushion. And you mentioned um, you arrive to to hear or to you arrive to our synthesis. You are some coaching sessions, some group sessions. Um, second day you have some breath work. You go into the ceremony. And then the third day, which uh, we had today, is an integration day where you do a workshop on how to actually take into your daily life all the learnings and all mm -hmm. the insights that you had through in the ceremony, correct? Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of a three-day um, experience. And I would, I would like to ask you a little bit about this renaissance, you know, and Eric mentioned it before, that is happening around the world around shamanic practices and psychedelic experiences. Um, what do you think is the drive behind that or what is the motive be behind that? And it's a question open to both of you. Um, I think there are a few factors. Uh, one of them is the lack of meaning in materialism. It's like, um, and consumerism. I think there's a lot of um, um, experiences that don't really mean that much and they just fill up they just boost our dopamine momentarily but they don't really tell us why we live or how to how to face the suffering of that's inevitable in life and that comes to to my second point i think there's a lot of suffering i think there's a lot of generational trauma that's been unaddressed by either colonialism or world wars or systematic abuse um sexism all of this and you know i think we got a little taste of that in the 60s when a lot of people do psychedelics and maybe we went a bit overboard but um beautiful movements um birthed in, from that time the ecological movement the um women's right movement um the anti-war movement etc um um so i think there's this Yeah, what you call it cultural dissonance yeah i think there's another aspect to it you know which is um which is very clear i think which is uh, you know we are we are you know entering a, a crisis right regarding our ecosystem around us um you know pe people you know i think they understand you know they read about it in the papers you can't you see it you look out you know you see it in the temperature you see you know i mean you can't this is inevitable you know that we're entering a period of of significant you know climate change driven by you know, the, the, the model that we've built, right? I mean, our energy is consumed, you know, entirely almost at the moment for fossil fuels, right? You know, the CO2 that we're, you know, dumping in the atmosphere, billions and billions of tons a year, year over year. Um, you know, the methane that we're throwing out there 30 times per ton, you know, more impactful than CO2, the oceans, plastic in the oceans. I mean, it's, you know, it doesn't sound like a good story, right? Um, and I, I think, you know, one of the issues, and we have, you know, people leaving, you know, um, Communal, communal country environments, right, where they you know, had a deep connection to nature, into, you know, megatropolises of cities and all the associated areas around that. There's, a, you know, there's an increasing breakdown of community. You know, we see that in the resurgence of populism and tribalism. You know, so there's, you know, a number of elements that we can continue to talk to. On the positive side, you know, and the aspect is, you know, I think the work of plant medicine is, is also about deep connection, you know, not only to each other, but to the environment, quite literally. You know, it allows us to understand ourselves from a position of, you know, a deeper aspect of self-love. And from that, you know, understand the context of, of love for the environment around us, right? People, compassion, empathy, 
Um, you know, whereas as Martin's experience, I think, as you know, when you're a great success as a you know world you know a poker player on the world stage, I think you said it you know quite accurately, which is you achieved what you set out to achieve. You could buy anything you wanted to buy. We have a culture saying is just buy more and you're going to be happier. Just do more and you're going to be happier. The, that model is beginning to you know wane, right? I mean, it's beginning to wane because people are losing other aspects, which make us, you know, fundamentally, and it's not even just about happiness, right? It's about, you know, finding meaning and community. You know, it's not about chasing happiness. That's the, that's the illusion. And that's, by the way, increasingly what we're told, right? Fuck everything and be happy, you know, is kind of a big message in, in, the, in our society. So, yeah, I think, you, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a huge nexus of forces coming together. And this is one modality which is emerging, you know, mm-hmm. from all of those components. And I mentioned earlier what those aspects are. What I will say, just to add on to that, on the really positive side, is, you know, we, have, we also have this convergence of incredibly positive forces that are, are, are going to enable us to address these problems in time. You know, we mentioned technology. We mentioned our ability now to connect and communicate at light speed on a universal, you know, on a global level. Um, you know, our ability to harness information now, you know, to address these things. So although, although we're facing some of the biggest challenges I think we have in terms of humanity's place in our ecosystem, um, you know, certainly since the last ice age, um, we are actually developing the tools and technology mm-hmm. To allow us to address those things and plant medicine is, is one of those things you know which seems to be emerging um so the interesting thing is you know we, you know will our will our society and culture be able to you know adapt elements of these in and a term that you have used over this weekend eric is distraction epidemic referring to the noise created by technology that keeps us distracted, you know, and the advertising industry that keeps us distracted and is fighting to grab our attention. So there's a massive lack of attention in this world. And that might be also another drive or another motive for this renaissance of psychedelics, right? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we've discussed that at length this weekend. You're absolutely right. And I, I do think um, when you think about our distraction in terms of our attention, our attention is certainly being grabbed. Um, you know, by all means, from a technology perspective and social media, the way we interact with our, you know, digital environment around us, there's hardly any space, any space now in a city that doesn't, you know, that isn't grabbing our attention to sell us something, you know, literally. Um, I, you know, there's a constant visual and audio barrage, um, you know, of our attention. And our attention is being, you know, literally sold to drive consumerism, to drive growth. And the implications of that growth you know, is the consequences for our ecological environment. And from that, you know, comes a dissonance. Um, and, you know, again, there's this resurgence, not only of technology, but look at mindfulness. You know, the resurgence of mindfulness, which is, you know, just another aspect to this, is about bringing our attention into the present moment. And when we're in the present moment, you know, we're with each other, we're with ourselves, and we can address, we're not distracting ourselves, you know, from from the things that we have to address, both personally, community, communal, as a, you know, in our companies as well. Um, and the other aspect about distraction is it, it's hardwiring our brains. You know, what, what is the saying in neuroscience, what fires together, wires together. The more distracted we become and the more distracted we allow ourselves, we're hardwiring ourselves for that. You know, and we see that, you know, we see that definitely arising, particularly in teenagers, you know. I mean, teenagers in the States, as an example, in a recent survey, a very large survey has come out, um, you know, levels of anxiety and depression amongst teenagers 
you know, again, reaching in literally epidemic levels. Um, and you just only have to look at the amount of time that teenagers' attention is being grabbed into, you know, where's, where's it going? Totally. And you said something very interesting there. You said what fires together, wires together. And that leads me into the neuroscience you know, side of um, psilocybin retreats and the future of psychedelics. To those that haven't had any experience or haven't had read, you know, the opportunity to read any of the books that we've mentioned today, like Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind, how do these substances interact with your mind or with your brain? Mm-hmm. Martin, you may also want to talk about so one of the reasons that, you know, that I collaborated with you also in that context of Val's question about the collaboration and the work you're doing mm-hmm. with Imperial College in London, which is, you know, obviously right. with the work with Robin Carr Harris, who's one of the leading neuroscientists in this area, and also some of the work, you know, that you've been asked to do in collaboration with some, you know, the institutes in both Amsterdam and, and, mm-hmm. and Switzerland as well. Right. Um, so if you look at the conditions that, um, are helped by psilocybin and psychedelics in general. What we see, and this is uh, Robert Carter Harris's theory, which I find very fascinating, is basically too much order. There's too much structure. And so the metaphor is um, imagine a mountain slope that's you with full, of, full of snow and you've been going down the same path again and again and again. And this might be something you did when you were really young, to just cope with a certain situation. And, but you've been following the same habit, whether it's an addiction or a form of control, um, a form of rumination, some kind of like bring yourself down in the case of depression. What psychedelics do, they kind of push the reset button. So basically imagine a snow globe and you shake it. Suddenly everything is covered with new snow. So with the old situation, you try to go a different track but just this emotional pull brings you the same behavior. You can already feel like if something happens, you kind of get pulled into something that you know is not good for you, yet you feel like powerless over it. Come psychedelics, come psilocybin, you have a very deep, profound experience that you, from distraction into intention, you see what it's all about, what the humanity is, what your own suffering is, what where it comes from, your emotions, you get access to new to old memories you, um, you didn't even know you were still carrying around. And suddenly you don't feel, after the, after the ceremony, you don't feel the same emotional pull anymore. You feel clarity. You feel, wow, I can actually change and it's actually worthwhile to do so. And so you get, you, you not only are freed from the past, you get additional motivation to actually implement those changes. That's the integration part. And what we, what we see is that these things like depression, anxiety, um, um, OCD, these, you know, these are almost universal. Everybody has them to some degree or in certain contexts and they improve. So we, we, we're doing research with uh, Imperial College in London and what we've seen so far corroborates um, the research being done there in clinical settings which means that depression goes down, well-being goes up, um, um, anxiety goes down, openness goes up, which means you're more malleable, you're, you're less fixed in your patterns. Um, you can appreciate the small moments more. Instead of being lived by, for example, digital media, you stand still and listen to 
music, you take a moment inside, you start to feel, you take more time for journaling, you are more motivated to meditate. And all of these things I find is a antidote towards um, these, these to more toxic elements in our society that are very modern and are basically hijacking our nervous systems with technology. I think the, what the work of um, you know Robin Carl Harris and and many others and the work at John Hopkins Institute is you know is clearly showing on an objective data level is you know with the emergence of the new technologies like fMRI and uh, EEG and TMS we were able to look under the hood of actually what's happening so many of the aspects Mark, Martin Martin spoke about there were actually in the realm of behavioral psychology before you know now they're in the realm also of neuroscience and what we're seeing related to the snow tracks Martin was talking about is you know the 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 neurons the synapses are firing together refiring together we that you will have not necessarily fired before because the old ones literally in a and this relates to the neuroplasticity of the brain right the the brain is is malleable and but we become very fixed in the behavior so it, it has a rigidity to it what psilocybin allows us to do in its neurochemical cascade is allow a breakdown of that malleability so that there's an element of neuroplasticity to it, which allows the neurons to, to fire together. And it's those neurons that allow a firing together that allow us to adopt new perspectives and new behaviors. And there's a, you know, obviously a lot more into this field um, with the you know, antagonistic effect of, of uh, psilocin um, in the compound. And there's a term um, very often used called the default mode network. Mm -hmm. What is the default mode network exactly? Well, what we've been discovering is that it's a part of the brain that can be really overactive and it's overactive in all these conditions that we just named. Uh, Michael Pollan called it the seat of the ego in his book. It's basically um, um, the part of the brain that, that plans, categorizes, controls, and it's kind of something in your, your own experience is like when you don't really see what's around you and you're trying to um, think about 10 things at the same time and you're really overactive, uh, your mind is overactive, you can't relax, you're, um, you're kind of anxiety-fueled, and um, we need it. Like it's, it's part of our most developed part of our brain. We, uh, without it, um, we'll be in big trouble. But if it's overactive, which is kind of because of the hijacked uh, situation we're in, it's not a good thing. It's um, caused a lot of suffering, and it... Um, it narrows our, our perception. If you take psilocybin, it, um, it the activity decreases and you get a way more relaxed, mindful state of being that's just present. And it's really nice to have, balance. Have a relief. Have a relief. Have of a your relief <laughs> from yourself for a moment. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, as Martin said, and what we're seeing again on the fMRI scans is... Um, you know, it used to be used to be thought that um, you know a psychoactive you know uh, compound actually activates more reactions in our brain. What we're beginning to see actually shuts down key parts, and one of the things it begins to release, as Martin said, is the is the um, medial prefrontal cortex and the postcingulate cortex towards the front of our brain, which is the seat of our executive function. You know, as Martin said, it's also the seat of where we ruminate. It's where we wake up in the morning and start thinking about what happened yesterday and worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. And, and we're locked in that pattern. Um, and, you know, the, the antagonistic effect of a compound like psilocin, you know, so we're beginning to see in the, in the field of neuroscience, and this is the work, the collaboration work that we're beginning to do with, um, with uh, Imperial College, 
is you know the activity moves away from those core areas um, and you have a drop down that so you have a relief and what more importantly what happens is because of that you open up new areas of mm-hmm. your brain that aren't activated because we so heavily rely you know on this overacted active mm-hmm. part um, you know and by the way i would just say if we had an environment and a culture where we could teach a lot of these things so by the way long-term meditators on fmri scans like we're talking about you know 20 or 30 year long-term meditators like buddhist monks or practitioners it's this it's exactly the same neurological pattern that they see from the benefit of you know meditation or in mindfulness also um, because it has the same effect on neuroplasticity um this the plant medicine is just like an active hack that allows us to accelerate that process mm-hmm. if we had an environment and culture that allowed us you know that allowed us as children you know in, in our education environments to start having the practice of managing these environments mm-hmm. you know our, our sort of requirement for um, the use of the hack wouldn't be as uh, wouldn't be as a necessity that right. many of us would have it now in terms mm-hmm. of you know um, the use of it that we're finding and to, to add to that, um, when the, the system goes down, um, we have this natural capacity to heal trauma. And what happens is um, all, everything that's unprocessed comes into awareness and starts to heal. And you start to process it in a more integrative way. You're, it's like basically once you get out of the madness, your body knows what to do. Like if you optimize the conditions for healing, your body starts to heal itself. And that recalibration process is is something that's really powerful and profound. Eric, you mentioned the prefrontal cortex, and I love an analogy um, that Alexandre Tenus, dear friend of us, um, does uh, comparing our brain with computer power. And he says, if we translate our brain to computer power, our prefrontal cortex has 220 bits of bandwidth. And when we are engaged in a one-way conversation, it's 60 bits of capacity. When we are in a two-way conversation, we are at full capacity, right? So we don't, we cannot really engage with anything around us if we are really engaging with somebody in, in a conversation. Now, if you think about it, our subconscious has terabytes of information, right? It's storing the emotions and feelings and experiences that are shaping how we behave today and that really affect all our decisions. But we very rarely really tap into that information because we are too focused and uh, too blurred by our prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. and our day-to-day mm-hmm. operating mind right uh, and i found that comparison you know very interesting and obviously these substances help you shut down your prefrontal cortex and allow you to dive deeper mm-hmm. into your subconscious in a way faster way right you don't need to meditate for 30 years yeah. to access that information which yeah. is really really That's fascinating really cool. yeah it's a great great analogy yeah. i know martin you have other two retreats. I just want to touch base on that very quickly. Apotheosis and high existence. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that very briefly. Sure. Um, Apotheosis is a retreat that I helped co-create for high existence. Um, it's held all over the world, different places. Every um, retreat is its own unique artistic creation. Whereas synthesis is like the entry level that will be available for a lot of people. Um, it's completely optimized for one high dose of psilocybin. The the apotheosis retreat is is basically optimized for deep spiritual transformation. That if you already have a practice, you already delve deep into these modalities, of which there are many. Um, apotheosis might be something that brings you to the next level. Um, and there, there's like a lot of meditation, yoga, breath work. That's like the basis. Um, we always have a few plant um, ceremonies as well. 
and then in, in between we have workshops on buddhism stoicism um on flow on um um sensuality on on self-love on journaling etc very interesting and, and um yeah i'm really excited for the next few episodes will be held in costa rica actually at the place of uh eric's uh another investment or co-owning <laughs> this, this place in costa rica called right. imalo institute which yeah. um, thanks for that plug <laughs> just a few questions to wrap it up mm -hmm. what is your vision for synthesis in the next five to ten years where would you like it to be so my vision for synthesis in the next five ten years is well on our way to really integrate psychedelics into culture if you look at the percentage of people that um, could benefit from such an experience the numbers are up to 30 40%. So looking forward, uh, I can see uh, a place in every big city in the world that you can go, let's, let's say every six to 12 months um, to get like a deep um, insight or checkup or reset. Um, what we follow is like the dentist problem, like you want to floss or brush your teeth every day, which is like meditation, um, working out, journaling, yoga, but every every once in a while you need to go to the dentist, and I feel like that's where um, psychedelics come in. That's how they've been used traditionally as well. Um, so, more research, um, more knowledge of what these tools can create, um, but in general, like higher adoption and more integration into our our day to day lives. And what we need to drive to, you know, make that happen is, you know, we need to start asking, you know, the politicians, you know, and, uh, you know, the groups that can actually influence the, you know, the legal framework that we have in every country in the West, except really except Holland, that, that makes that vision illegal right now. Um, and that change is, you know, that change is coming. You know, we can see, we can clearly see that, you know, without a doubt. Um, stage three, stage three clinical trials in the states, right? Of MDNA, mm -hmm. we see it will soon be the case with psilocybin for clinical therapy. Um, and there's, a, I think, there's a, just a growing acceptance, you know, even amongst the conservative ranks of the of the power of these tools. Um, you know, both as I said, not only from a you know from a mental health you know health perspective, but also from a human flourishing perspective. Martin, just to rub it up, if people want to find more about synthesis want to take mm -hmm. part of one of your retreats where can they find you um let's go to um synthesisretreat.com or google synthesis amsterdam synthesis retreat synthesis psilocybin you'll find us thank you guys i know it's been a very intense weekend for <laughs> all of us for different reasons i wish you the best uh, mm, in the future i think you're doing an amazing um, project uh, that probably will benefit humanity in you know much bigger ways. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, yeah. Martin. Thanks, Eric. <laughs>